Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 90. I'm very excited that you've all joined me for yet another installment of the Low Tox Life Podcast. And I often wonder whether you guys are like wondering what on earth topic I could be bringing up next, given how varied they all are. And I'm um, always so excited to see that variety is one of the things that you guys love the most about the podcast because it's something I value a lot, you know, explore, exploring all these different topics and and going down these beautiful rabbit holes with um, with experts in all these niches. But I often think, gosh, is it is it too scatterbrained? But no, I really believe that all of these things link in to leading a low-tox life and money, today's conversation, is no exception. Now, why on earth money has anything to do with being low-tox is um, – is actually super logical for me. And I was thinking for ages, I really want to have Mel on the show, but I couldn't quite articulate why. Then I started to think about what being not so great with money can make people feel and shame, anxiety, stress, um, guilt, denial, fear, and all of that can be very stressful. And stress impacts our ability to have a nice low-tox mind. And a low-tox mind is one of the major four pillars of leading a low-tox life. So that is how it's all connected, right? And and I'm just so excited to have Mel on the show today. She's a three times author on the money topic. And, uh, and while those uh, books tend to focus on female empowerment, I really don't believe that today's chat is one that excludes uh, men if you're a guy out there wanting to listen to the show and pick up some tips because it, it's really universal um, information. And I think Mel's passion for advocating for women's empowerment in financial literacy is simply because women are statistically so behind. So um, it's it's a show for everybody nonetheless. And uh, and Mel has a great way of just bringing this money topic out of the land of taboo and getting us chatting about it and, and giving practical solutions for starting to feel financially resilient and then move on to being financially well. Um, and she explains the difference between those two things during the show. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, before we kick into the conversation, I just wanted to introduce you to our show supporter for the next two weeks. We have the wonderful Attitude uh, gorgeous um, organic bamboo lyocell uh, sheets and doona covers and pillowcases. They make beautiful stuff. My son's bunk beds currently have the the single navy blue attitude um, doona on them. And, you know, bamboo, can, there's good, bad and ugly in bamboo and you really do have to do your due diligence on how things are produced and what certifications they have. Um, but attitude definitely checks out. Um, bamboo lyocell is one of the more sustainable, gentle bamboo fabrics. Uh, they use a closed loop water system, so very little water waste in their production and in their um, cultivation of the bamboo. And they're RAP certified, W-R-A-P, if you wanted to check that out online. Um, and the 12 principles that RAP certification um, uh, espouses are wonderful, honourable things that mean factory workers, farmers are safe, are looked after. There's no one, um, oh gosh, there's a child screaming outside the window, but I will persevere because I've done literally six takes of this <laughs> intro and every single time there's been something that's made me have to start it again. So if you don't mind ignoring that child that just screamed, um, that would be lovely. It wasn't my child, don't worry. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I really like the way Attitude do business. They're a beautiful company and they're offering us 10% off. Sleep healthy is the code and the link is in the show notes. So just pop over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast as usual. And it's all there, but my due diligence as a, um, oh no, my duty of care rather as a business owner is please don't get anything if you don't need anything. Uh, you know, but these are wonderful for if you've got a gift coming up or if you were ready to swap, then there's nothing like a little discount that helps make that swap a bit easier. Um, 
Second thing I wanted to mention is uh, about the Patreon um, pledge that so many of you have started to make. Thank you. Excited to have you joining the Lotox Club. Please check out the show notes again today if you just want to see what this is all about. I have a big video that I've recorded over on the Patreon pledge page. But essentially what it means is I've created a chat space for all things podcast and all things Lotox Life related. And you don't have to have done one of our courses to be in this chat group. You can be coming from anywhere in the world, any listenership, uh, readership of the blog, whatever. Um, and you can pay less than the price of like a cost of that. Ah, see, again, no, I'm not going to press re-record. I'm, I'm persevering. And it can cost less than um, the price of a coffee a month. So you could pay a dollar a month if you wanted to belong to the Lotox Club or $10 a month, 15, 20, three, whatever amount. No one else in there is going to see how much you spent. If you're tight on cash, please don't overspend or think you have to impress me or anything like that. It's more just about making us all accountable, making us show up for the conversation. And over time, as we hit our first milestone of a thousand US a month, which is what it costs us to put the podcast on, um, that we're currently in deficit of, although not so much anymore, because I think we're up to nearly 400 a month in pledges. Um, but uh, over and above that, it just means we're going to be able to invest back into our um, resources to produce more awesome stuff for you, whether that's adding in another podcast show a week so we can have like a health focus once a week and a sustainability focus once a week, or whether it's producing meal plans, if that's what the community is feeling like they need, uh, if it's providing masterclasses with certain types of practitioners or building biologists or specialists in the podcast topic that we just aired, all sorts of stuff we're going to be able to do as the kitty grows. So I invite you to come and join us. It's where all the cool kids are hanging. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see where it goes. All the details again are in the show notes. And as you pop through to the Patreon page, I've recorded a little video of, um, of my hopes and wishes for where the club goes. So that's all I wanted to tell you about. And, uh, I now just want to invite you to sit back or walk and have a listen to this awesome chat with Melissa Brown, all about money and why it matters to be great with our money. Hey, Melissa, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm super well, thank you. And I'm very excited to have you on the show today. And some people might be wondering why on earth I've invited my accountant <laughs> to join me on the podcast. <laughs> However, because we're exciting <laughs> and obviously sexy topic. <laughs> super sexy topic. And, um, and I was just sharing with you a little bit about this offline before we started recording, but I'll share with everyone else. You know, a low-tox mind is definitely one of the pillars of leading a low-tox life. And within having a low-tox mind is um, having low stress. But something that creates very high stress for so many people is money. And and I just, I think we need to, I think we need to sort that out. I know I've done a lot of work on myself because I've um, in the past been terrible at uh, fessing up to my financial situation, creating a plan, um, getting out of debt and all those sorts of things. And I just know there are going to be so many people out there who are the same or mm. have experiences throughout our chat that you can really identify with and go, ah, that's something I've been wanting to work on. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. I love that you're having this chat when it comes to low tox because I completely agree it's so relevant it really is right and mm. um so you've written three books now on empowering people and there, there seems to be well actually it's super obvious there's an emphasis <laughs> on women <laughs> but that's not to say the gents listening today aren't going to find anything relevant about it I think is mm. your passion to to um focus more on women for the simple fact that women tend to be statistically financially behind and you want to level that up? Absolutely. I find that money is often something that guys will naturally have that chat about. Mm. I mean, trust me, there is still issues with the way that guys have the chat about money. Um, but I think it was, I think the Me Too movement kind of brought that that whole conversation to the fore around female empowerment. Mm. Um, and when the fund was created at the end of last year. For me, that was that missing piece where, look, we can have hashtags, we can have 
conversations. But if we actually don't have the finances behind us to do something, then as women, we're not going to be as empowered as we need to be. Mm. So for me, that's why the conversation with women particularly is important because for me, it's that final building block around empowerment Mm. that we need. And it is one of the things I'd say that leaves women in a position that tends to be seen as victim as well when it comes to divorce, when it comes to superannuation differences. It's like it puts us in a poor me category and and if we plan better, if we know more, we, we don't need to be there. Definitely. And it, if we are able to think about money and talk about money and for it just to be something else that we talk about and let's face it, Women are pretty good at talking about stuff. Yes. Okay. So this was really yeah. interesting because I was at a conference recently right when I had decided I've got to get Mel on the show, totally unrelated subject. But um, there I was listening to a male naturopathic doctor talk about the vaginal mac- microbiome. No joke. And I was sitting there, I was taking notes, really, uh, you know, interested you know, talking, thinking about how I can use this information to help my audience. And, and there I was, and I was reading your, about me. Yeah, I know. And I was reading your book and I was thinking, wow, this feels uncomfortable. I'm squirmy. And I was like, yeah. why? Uh, like, the, you know, we're so comfortable in so many, I think Sex in the City did that for us, right? You talk about that in Absolutely. one of your books. Yeah, um, and there is yeah. this element, I think, of nice girls don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't talk about it and we certainly don't say we want more of it. Do you um, think that's I, our British roots for many of us? Ah, oh, absolutely. But it's not just British roots. It's uh, It crosses cultures. All cultures, um, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And there are some where they are more matriarchal cultures where this is not as apparent. Mm-hmm. But certainly for those of us in that patriarchal culture, This is something where women are supposed to take a certain role. It's a supporting role. Right. And it's kind of not feminine to say that you want to have more money or that you want to be financially empowered. Mm. And I think that's one of those things that we do need to shake off. Well, that's definitely not just British for sure. (laughs) I mean, just look at, I mean, look at the entire world. But I guess because I come from, you know, my dad's British and and so I have British lineage and you think about like that the 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 well to do the no not the well to do the how do you do you know that kind of mm. like you would just never it would be a dirty gritty topic and Absolutely. it would be highly inappropriate yeah sex um, money and politics mm, yes. you know there's just some things that's that where the men set us separate off into the other room to talk about Definitely. those things yeah wow, and we sit there and talk <laughs> about cooking and <laughs> nice things which is lovely and I <laughs> love talking about cooking. <laughs> But um, that doesn't help you in your retirement years. Absolutely. Mm. And for me, it's just about, it's not about not talking about those other things because there are wonderful things to talk about. But let's add money into the mix of things that we're also comfortable talking about. Yeah. And so how do you think we actually start to do that? Well, I think we actually have to start our own internal conversation about money because if we're avoiding thinking about money, if you're sitting in an audience Listening to a talk about the JJ, going, oh, if this was about money, I would be leaving. That for me is the red flag to say, well, maybe our internal money conversation is not great. And why is that? Yeah. Um, and mindfulness, I know, is a real buzzword when it comes to so much in our lives. But I think we need to actually become mindful about money. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we start to think, about it. Once we start to be willing to do something about our own financial situation, then I think it becomes less shameful and less a guilty, dirty secret. And we can start to have those interesting, robust conversations with other people. Wow. That's that's a big step. Okay. So I'm, I'm very... <laughs> Can you tell? Because this is an issue oh, yeah. for me. Um, okay, I'm backtrack. Money mindfulness, yes. so, and and um, improving or even starting an internal conversation about money. How yeah. does that look in a day to day? Well, I think so. If I draw, I often draw a parallel with food. So, um, when it comes to food, it's a lot of us now want to know where our food comes from. Um, we want to make sure that it's come from a place where there's no harm done. Um, we're conscious of how far it's travelled and the and whether it's nourishing us. Mm-hmm. And I think 
that mindfulness that we apply to food, it's about applying that to money. Um, and I think some of this started with a really awkward, almost toxic relationship with food, where it was food's almost as much a problem for the under-eater as the over-eater. Mm. You know, we eat when we're sad, we eat when we're happy, we eat to, to re- alleviate stress. And I see all of those same behaviours happening with money. So when we're stressed, we shop. When we're bored, we shop. When we when we are frightened or if we're sitting on the couch on a Friday night with a bottle of wine surfing social media, we shop. Mm. <laughs> like it, and it becomes this real toxic, weird, twisted relationship where we don't want to give mind to it because we kind of are a bit com- uncomfortable about what that says about us mm. and our willpower and how we live and, you know, we, we're so good in these other parts of our life that we feel like money trips us up sometimes. So for me, it's about starting to figure out what you think about money, what your relationship is about money, um, and then starting to break the hold money has over you. So it just moves back to being a tool again. No Mm -hmm. different from food, where we can enjoy it, it can nourish us, and we can use it to do good. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Because something that um, I know a lot of... Um, conscious living people, activists, um, people who are, you know, big into social justice movements, um, mm. ethics movements, um, various causes, tend to have just as screwy a, oh, <laughs> a relationship absolutely. with money as yep. highly wealthy, um, you know, corporate CEOs, for example. Like, it's, Definitely. It, and, the, like, there are two types of screwy it looks like and I always just think wow and and I have had to work through this myself you know growing up with messaging around oh well everything's fine for them they've got money darling or Mm, you know um oh it's easy for them they've got cash or you know all those sorts of like little throwaway lines yeah and then you grow up thinking or it's evil to have money or it's evil or the bad big corporations and yes there are many bad big corporations there are many Mm. awesome fantastic ones too and it's all about being true to your values as you grow if you um, if you uh, if you grow right and you're doing right by people, right by planet, well, what's wrong with having money? Because then you can do more good. That's exa- so, and that's exactly yeah. how I see it. In mm. that, you know, for me, it's about amassing wealth in a way that is sustainable and is right for me, but also so that I can pass that on, so mm. that I can give money to domestic violence shelters, so that I can. Um, give money to child trafficking so that I can because you can give time but giving money to these causes is just as important Mm. and often for women the causes that we want to support may be slightly different than the causes men want to support and we need money to fund that so for me having to talk about money and wanting to talk about money and wanting to have money is actually a positive thing not a negative thing and yet I know for a lot of women it can be negative. Absolutely. So it is a reframe. And do you think, like, I don't think I've ever tangented this much in the first 10 minutes of the conversation <laughs> list. Um, sorry, Mel. No, don't be silly. But do, like, you, do you think that, that, you know, just taking the individual being who's um, socially minded, ethics minded, um, activist minded, and having mm. their own screwy issues with money sometimes. Do you think that can then embed into why certain not-for-profit organisations don't do well? Ah, oh, absolutely. Because so interesting. If you're of the opinion that money is evil, and you don't, you're not even aware of that. It's just something you suspect. Mm. Then how are you going to go and fundraise and ask people, mm. or how are you going to go and? want that charity to creatively and curiously think of different ways that it can um, find money so that it can do great things. Mm. It might be almost an afterthought or something you feel really uncomfortable about. So you just concentrate on the doing good Mm. and the money's an afterthought. Whereas for me, someone like Order Excel um, has an extraordinary, from the Indara group, has an extraordinary model where she's creatively and critically thought about it. She has an extraordinary investment bank um, that is unashamedly pro-profit and she has across the hall a not-for-profit 
and she walks the profits from the investment bank across the hall to the not-for-profit. Mm. So she's actually, by thinking about money, creatively found a solution where she doesn't need to fundraise. She can actually just generate wealth and send it across the hall. Where it's needed. Yeah. Absolutely. So Amazing. I think if we're willing to uh, think about money, we, as women particularly, we think differently. Yeah. Um, so it's being able to put out, if we're able to think about money, and then we can partner with the guys to do that, I mean, I think it would be an unstoppable force. Mm, I know. Partnering with men, what a crazy concept, hey? No, I know, right. I'm so sick of the future being female in <laughs> oh, messaging. Dang. I'm like, no, it's not. The future's actually togetherness. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah because we think differently. And that collab- the collaboration of those two ways of thinking, if we allow ourselves to come together, I reckon it's really powerful. Super powerful. Um, okay, so now I will talk about um, <laughs> the questions that I have because I've got some really good ones. I want them answered. So in what should we call your latest book? Unblip your finances? Unblip your finances. Unblip your finances. You'll see it in the show notes, folks. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, but in that latest book, um, mm. which is out now and doing super well uh, through Alan and Unwin, right? Yeah, that's there right. It is mm-hmm. doing really well, which is fun. Yay. Um, now, you say that we need to break up with money. Aren't we trying to get together with money? What do you mean by that? And I know you had a parallel with food earlier. Mm. You mentioned food, but I, I just I want you to kind of go into that a little bit more because I was curious. Yeah, so I think a lot of us have this weird, twisted, toxic relationship with money mm-hmm. where it's almost become a crutch for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we go to to make ourselves feel better. Uh, we go to if we want to be rewarded. Um, and for me, I think we need to break the hold that money has on us, to break that weird, twisted relationship and turn it simply into a tool again, um, no different from a car. You know, mm-hmm. a car, uh, we drive to get from point A to point B. We can't have a relationship with our car. No. <laughs> Despite the fact that some men I know do have, my <laughs> husband, for example, has a relationship with his men. My husband has a very deep relationship with his car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe they'll understand on that level. Yeah. Um, but a, ta- a car is purely a tool to get us t- from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And it's about realising that that's all that money should be for us. Money okay. shouldn't be something that... If it was a person, we'd be blocking on on social media. We'd be blocking in a cupboard, scared that it's going to get out and embarrass us. Yeah. But rather, simply a tool that, if we use it properly, will get us to the life that we want. I love that. The analogy of the embarrassing auntie or uncle in a cupboard that you just don't want to unleash in case they tell that horrible story about you at a family function is the best money shaming parallel I've ever heard. Oh, thank you. And I, that's mm. how I really think of it, I think. Brene Brown talks about shame mm. in her book. And I have that awkward relative <laughs> that I'm just, I can't tell him stuff because he will re- relate it at parties to the most inappropriate people. Mm. And I think that's how a lot of us have a relationship with money. Yeah, We'd rather it not be brought up, we'd rather it not be talked about because we're deeply worried and we're worried about both extremes. I know some people that actually really have their finances sorted, um, but they don't even want that to get out because they're worried about, well, will my peers be able to relate to me if they actually know I have two investment homes and I've got a pile of money in the bank? Mm. Um, and I've had chats with millennials where they they genuinely don't want that story to wow. get out to their um, I've had chats with couples where she's earning a lot more than him and they can't have um, a conversation together about money because in his head a man looks a man needs to look after a woman. So they can't have that the, their relationship with money is stuck because he can't come to the table and talk about money and she doesn't want to shame him because yeah. that's his story. Mm. And I think we just need to break this hold money has on us, break that weird relationship we have and move it just back to being a tool again. Work out other ways. Like, for example, with the the couple, there's other ways a man can be there for a woman, not just financially. Mm -hmm. And if they were able to have that conversation, then they could figure out what that might look like 
But if you're not even willing to have the conversation, then you can never sort that part of your life out, which is enormous part of your life. It's a huge part of our life. And it's one of the backbones that keeps everything ticking, keeps mm-hmm. options available. So, yeah, exactly. It's big. Um, so you list a few ways in the book that we can break up with money in this um, negative pattern that we have going on for so many of us. And it's, one of the things is to start with a financial detox. Yes. Um, so should we be scared? Should we be br- rolling out the lemon juice and the colon <laughs> cleansers? Is... Oh, God, no. <laughs> and Hopefully a financial say... detox is a bit easier. <laughs> I know, definitely. Although some people might say it's not. Um, I was scared to use that word because I'm actually, I don't detox or um, I, I kind of believe in just healthy eating naturally. Mm. But I think that people understand that a lot of us are binging and are spending on the wrong thing or just not even thinking about our spending. So to detox from money, I think is actually really important. And that's, I think, how you start to break the relationship and turn it to a tool again. Mm -hmm. So a detox is simply 30 days of not buying anything new. So you you outline the parameters. So for some people that might be um, eating out, uh, entertainment, and stuff mm-hmm. for other people like me eating out really an entertainment isn't such a big deal but it's the stuff mm-hmm. and it's just breaking that habit of mindlessly tapping and paying or mindlessly sitting here on our phones going to click to buy mm-hmm. and actually starting to question those choices and during that 30 days what i'm a big fan of is asking yourself why you would be spending in that moment so am i Huh, usually I'd bring my wallet with me and I'm bored at a lunchtime, so I just spent. Okay, what could I do instead? Mm. And starting to figure out the stresses and maybe even the boredom that's causing you to spend and then figure out figuring out alternatives. Um, and that's probably why I parallel it with food because it genuinely is just a swap. It's a figuring out why am I behaving this way, what's driving that, and then swapping it to something else. So the 30-day detox is really important, but it's being mindful during that 30-day detox and questioning what you would normally do and why you do that. Mm, fantastic. I think that's so – I mean, I've just drawn so many parallels on like the Thrive Kids course, for example, when you have families that are like, why is my child not hungry at dinner time and why won't yeah. they eat? And it'll you'll work out that it's because they're just kind of grazing and snacking all day. And yeah. then it, what you need to do is break the habit of just, I'm bored food, I'm bored Absolutely. food. So I'm bored yeah. money is another thing or, you know, just buying stuff. Like when people yeah. go through go low tox and ditch all the yeah. toxins, people really start to realise wow, this isn't about swapping every single thing I have for the more natural option. This is about going, did I really need this in the first place? Exactly. And, yeah. it, and I love that you use the three-year-old with the boredom analogy because mm. I think some of us are behaving a bit like toddlers with our money. Mm. <laughs> yes. And we just are financially grazing and not realising. And often that's the leaky bucket mm. where it's not the big things that often undo us. It's that whole lot of unconscious small spending that does it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, once upon a time when you lived it, when you were younger, I know for me we just weren't allowed to have sweets and we weren't allowed to. I know. know. It was kept away. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now the willpower is all left up to us. Yeah. And most of us kind of aren't that good at controlling that. <laughs> yeah. So. It's figuring out what works for us and then not being ashamed to put those boundaries in place. So yeah. I'm a financial advisor. You'd think I'd have my, um, I was going to say my shit sorted. I'll just say it, my shit sorted. Um, I'll put a language warning in the intro, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Um, you'd think I'd have, have my stuff sorted. Yeah. And yet for me, the fact that I've done the work and I know myself means I can only have one credit card with a limit I can handle. And yeah. I almost feel like I want to sign every time I'm offered a store card or pay or pay wave or auto pay or whatever all those different things are called. Because mm. I genuinely need to say, please stop offering me crack. Yeah. Because credit's like crack for me. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't control it. Mm. And I need to have my savings in an account where I can't access it. 
because I know the self-talk of, oh, I'll be able to just work harder and make up that money. Yeah. That's also unhealthy for me. So it's being adult enough to put boundaries around and not being ashamed of the boundaries that you're placing. Mm. Well, with discipline comes more freedom, right? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's so unsexy. It's one of those paradoxes. Actually, that's dead true, no matter what you think about. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Cool. How do we tangent (laughs) up (laughs) there? I don't know. I don't know. I am the tangent queen though, so, you know. Oh, good. It's all good. Um, now, okay, so is part of the breaking up partly to do with also recognise what family imprints have been placed on us as we grew up? So absolutely. And I don't think it's just family imprints. I think it's family and peer and societal and advertising imprints um, because we are, there is this dictation where this is what we're supposed to do when it comes to money. Mm. Um, and this is how we're supposed to behave and think and want. And when I get people to do the, um, what relationship do you have with money? Is money good, bad, or okay exercise? Often they'll see either the relationship they have with their father or their mother written down as their relationship with money. Wow. Or they'll start to hear the voices of either an advertising um, that they were, that they didn't even realise that they were being advertised to, or a family member as good, bad and okay. And they don't even realise they're taking that on. And that's if we're avoiding thinking about money, then we're potentially just letting those unconscious voices drive us to behaviour that actually isn't going to serve it. Mm. But it actually isn't a problem if those voices are great voices and if the money values you passed on were great money values. But the question is, are they serving you um, and are they actually right for you? Wow, because so whilst, interesting. Yeah, because whilst mm. it might be amazing for your parents to want to buy their own home, it might not, not actually be serving you for you too because you want to chase a, glob, a job across the globe and so the fact that you feel guilted or obligated or shamed into this thing that you don't even think's right for you and then you become almost angry and agitated over and then avoid mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. and then avoid the whole financial conversation because you just don't want to be taken to that place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I see this so often. Wow, it's so interesting. And I'm just going to think back to when I had – a big breakup in my mid-twenties and I remember just moving back in with mum and dad for a little bit and I remember being on domain.com and mm-hmm. seeing studios in Potts Point for about 100, 110K. And thinking, gosh, so I would only need $10,000 to get one of those and oh, being wow. too ashamed to talk to my parents about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, abs- and often we... We just don't, I was the same. I remember when I um, divorced my first husband, I call him my first husband because it keeps my second husband on his toes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think Tony has anything to worry about knowing you guys. No, but... <laughs> Sadly. So he's, he's beautiful, beautiful man. Um, but I did the same thing. So I um, I gave the, the, any money I received from the divorce to charity um, and then realised at that point I don't even have enough for bond, I don't have enough for wages next week. My parents are quite wealthy um, from being self-made um, people um, but there was no way I was going to ask them for any sort of a hand or even hint to them that I was having any sort of issues mm. uh, and I ended up moving into a frat house instead because, you know, that's what you do. Mm. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we, we just are so not great at having these conversations, even if you're like me and you're used to having those conversations. Mm. So what are some of the steps to actually starting to have those conversations? Do we need to kind of, like, I, I would imagine you'd almost need to put yourself on some sort of baby steps program because it's you can't just go all in and go, right, darling, like, let's yeah. just make this big plan. And, you know, that's a that'd be a huge jump for a lot of people. Absolutely. But sometimes whilst it can be confronting, talk about your own particular issue, like the fact that you have credit card debt, Mm -hmm. but it can be an interesting way to start. If you do something 
like to figure out what your relationship with money or how you think about money and take that to your friends or your peers and mm. say, hey, I just realised this. Is it the same for you? Yeah. Um, or what do you think about money? Or what's your relationship with money? Because we all love tests and quizzes and to find out more about ourselves. Mm. So that's like a gentle way of starting to have a money conversation that can then lead into a behavioural conversation. But at the, at the core of it is, but this is what I believe about money and I'm not sure if, if that's actually right or I'm not sure if that's actually helpful or did you know this about me? Yeah. Um, because I know when, when my hubby and I did this, <laughs> I just laughed. I was like, oh, honey, mm. <laughs> this just makes so much sense to me that you can't, you come at it like from a way that is, he he would rather have money in his bank account and under his bed than anywhere else in the world. Mm, okay. And I've never understood that and it's been a source of frustration. Um, but once I understood the reasons behind that and how he felt about money and what it meant to him to have that in the bank account, mm. we could start to make a plan for him still feeling safe but him being able to do uh, other things with his money that were actually serving him. Ah, gotcha. Yes. Because it having is, it in the bank account, well, especially with what, 1% or oh. 2% interest, it's not really very... Um, That's not serving anyone. No, it's, it's not serving anyone. Money. Yeah. Definitely. So I think that gentle way, or even to say to your partner or your peers, hey, I found, I heard this thing called a 30-day detox. Mm. And I suspect some of us are doing some unconscious spending. Why don't we do that together? And then once a week, just come and talk about what we discovered about ourselves from doing it. Yes, yeah, so interesting. And we're going to do this in the Lotox Club, which I'll put the details in the show notes for, um, because I think it's a really brilliant challenge. Uh, mm. And uh, But something that we've kind of already been working on in there is uh, from Gero Luson's chat about um, Dr. Brunner and their fair trade projects and bringing about a consciousness consciousness about where things come from how they're made whether the workers were paid fairly and I sort of issued a bit of a challenge there and some of the stories that came back often ended with and so I decided just not to buy it anyway once I realized so you know what I mean and it's so closely linked to the whole picture of mindfulness definitely um it's not linked it's embedded as one of the pillars of mindfulness Um, absolutely and yet we're not we're not doing that on a conscious level as a society and uh you know a lot of people often ask me why don't you guys have afterpay for your e-courses um because i just don't want to put people in a position where they're buying things they can't afford right now i'd much prefer for people to save up for a little bit and it's only two hundred dollars for the most expensive one and you know, we can all, you know, it's like buying a Lucas pan. You save up for it and you get it. Mm-hmm. And and um, and I grew up doing the opposite, being able to ask for it and then pay my dad back. And that was something yeah. I had to deal with for a good couple of decades before I realised that wasn't the right way forward. Yeah. Um, and I just don't want to, as a business owner, put people in that same position I've been in where it, it just doesn't work. No, mm. no, and I love that you don't because I know um, from the stats that people spend more mm. as a result of credit and after paying things like that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting the banking commission's been on in Australia mm. recently, and I know a lot of people have been outraged by the behaviour of um, certain institutions. But I wonder how many people have actually done anything financially about it. Mm. Um, and I think this is the mindfulness chat where. A lot of us are outraged about courses or we are so deeply passionate about things and yet we're not doing anything about it. Perhaps our super's invested mm. um, there and we're not even aware that we're, um, we're over here signing petitions with one hand and contributing to that cause with the other. Yes. Uh, yes. Or we're buying things off corporations where we might be really passionate about women on boards and having a seat at the table and yet they have no female representation. So we need to we need to be aware that our financial decisions are often more powerful than our signatures on a page. Mm-hmm. And to or, really or a nasty comment on Facebook. I'll oh, that. gosh, yeah. so much more. Mm. Far more powerful. Yeah, we do vote with our dollars at the end of the day and us low talkers yeah. know that better than anyone. So yeah. yeah, and as women often control the spending um, power in a family, so we actually have more control than we realise. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And I think really the thing that just keeps coming back here is 
it all starts with a mindfulness and then a plan, mm. something like a detox where you just really raise that awareness for 30 days so you can see what you're dealing with yeah. um, and confront yourself, literally. <laughs> um, but then something you move on to talk about is um, this actually comes up quite a bit in the latest book, the difference between financial resilience, because we would think that being mm. tough and strong is the goal, but then you actually extend it beyond that and calling it financial wellness. Can you talk to us about what the difference between those two things are? Yeah, so if I relate it to health, I don't think many of us aspire to being resilient with our health. Mm -hmm. um, we want that in our toolkit. We want to be able to stave off colds and to make sure that our bodies are strong. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to our health, we're often aiming for wellness. You know, we want to be able to, that's why we've added in meditation and low tox and things like that, because we want it to be more than resilience. We actually want to aim for wellness. Mm. Um, and for me, financial wellness is, is utopia. Mm -hmm. And financial <laughs> resilience is important. For some of us, we actually need to become, we need to have buffers. We yeah. need to be paying down debt. We need to make sure that we have that resilience and that strength. However, I want the freedom and options that wellness brings, which is that extra level where suddenly we have choice, mm. um, where suddenly we can decide what it is we want to do. Um, we, can make, we can make better choices for us. Um, and for me, when I did a whole lot of work personally, um, that's when I realised that resilience is this finger, for me, it's a, a fingertip clenched on the ledge um, mm. and it's really mm. necessary sometimes, but it's not a place I want to live. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're in credit card debt or if you're in a place where you really need to financially sort yourself out, resilience will be your first step. We need to get you financially resilient, but I don't want you to live there. Yeah, I want it, I want it to become a place of wellness. Beautiful. And it's such a great thing to aim for and it sounds like a happy place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And for me, it, there's no evil and it's no badness. You know, it means that we can donate, we can give back. It's just such a, for me, it's such a beautiful place. Mm. And you hinted just then that things weren't always rosy for you with money. Can you share mm. what a couple of your biggest ahas have been in building your own financial wellness? Yeah, one of it is definitely um, sabotaging and control. So mm -hmm. I I am terrible with chocolate. <laughs> I cannot have it in the house. <laughs> um, I only eat a couple of brands and I make sure they're really high quality and I really enjoy them when I buy them. But it's with the understanding that I will demolish them in a sitting like mm -hmm. I have no power yeah um and I know that it's actually the same for me with credit and money mm -hmm. I if I had five credit cards they would all be at their limit and I'd like to say to myself that I would have willpower to not do that mm -hmm. but I know that's not the truth and that's so um, fantastic that you just admit that and you're admitting oh. it to a few thousand of your closest friends right now but <laughs> no, you know I, I think we need to be more open and say these sorts of things well, as a financial advisor, I can whip myself and I can guilt myself and I can, you know, really push myself or I can actually give myself some freedom and some wellness and actually just have one card at a limit I can handle. Mm. And my savings have to be, so for me, my savings are in the share market or in property. Yeah. They are not in a bank account okay. because, again, if it's in a bank account, I'm probably going to spend it. <laughs> mm, such a but great realisation. Like, well, that's the thing for me. It was, it was not running from that. It was realizing that and realizing that. Well, it's no different from chocolate, Mel. Why on earth would it be any different over here? Mm. You've put safeguards around chocolate. Why on earth wouldn't you be kind to yourself when it comes to your money as well? Mm -hmm. um, and I think too many of us are beating ourselves up and telling us we need to financially adult. Yeah. When actually we just need to be kind to ourselves and put boundaries in place. You know, Seth Godin. Um, talks about it as being bowls. You yeah. know, if we want to lose weight, have a smaller bowl. Mm. You know, when it comes to our finances, if we want better finances, put boundaries, put um, safeguards and have a smaller bowl that yeah. you eat. 
I haven't had credit card debt since I moved to um, having an American Express charge card, and this is not a sponsored post by any means. Because you have to pay it off. But you have to pay it off at the end of the month, and that is it. And I am a huge fan of points um, because, you know, why wouldn't you want to earn um, your um, your trips and your upgrades. I love to travel and I have family all over the world, so it helps me actually see them. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to give away that entirely, but I do love that I actually just have to have that paid off every single month. Otherwise, like nasty people come for you. So yeah. No, I have an Amex in my business for exactly the same reason. I love yeah. the point, but I also love that you actually can't have a balance. Mm. No, so you can't. Me, not an option. credit. Yeah. Uh, for a business totally yeah. agree I think yeah. it you know it was my realization that I, I would just think that that money was mine because of the way yeah, totally. I grew up it's so deeply ingrained and a lot that, of people uh, yeah. see that credit card as an extension of their money mm. um where or that's their <laughs> oh, that is such a great point isn't it oh it's, it's not an extension of our money it is not no. your money um, and probably the other thing for me that I did is and I'm talked about it earlier that when I divorced my husband who was actually a lovely man um and you know we say things in the moment um, my first husband said to me you're never going to make it on your own <gasps> so I then did that emotional well fine and I gave every cent of the divorce proceeds to charity which seemed like a, a good idea <laughs> at the time yeah <laughs> but actually it was it was a total emotional reaction mm. And I should have taken a moment and kept some. Yes. <laughs> but things like bonds and wages and things like that, because that took a good couple of years to get back from. Mm. Um, and it was a it was a reaction. And I think emotionally for some of us, we behave financially with our emotions, and we actually need just to stop sometimes and say, is this a rational decision or an emotional decision, and how can I protect myself mm. from? From these sort of decisions. Yeah, so good. Um, so good. And so when we start to realise that, uh, you know, how we spend, how we think about money, we start to actually, um, it almost feels like at this point is when you actually need, and you call it becoming a gold digger, um, mm. as in G-O-A-L, and we need goals because, you know, then then we start to attach a bit of a purpose to why we're living this way. Absolutely, because for me, if you just go, if you're just sort of moving along and you're trying, oh, just try and save ten percent. There's nothing exciting about mm. why you might want to do that. Yeah. And but if you sat down and went, okay, well, in a few years' time, I'd really love to have a child. I don't have a partner yet, but even if I didn't have a partner, maybe I'd do IVF and to figure out how much that costs and start to make a plan for that. Yeah. Or to realise, well, actually, in a decade, I'd like to not be working any longer mm. or I'd like to send my kids to a private school or I'd like to set up a foundation or a business. If you have something you're excited about working towards and that really get your juices going, then for me, you can then start to make great financial choices and be motivated to stick with them. Mm. And it's not that your goals have to happen, like they may change, but... It's the fact that if they change, at least you have options because you've started to save for something. Yeah. 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 There's nothing wrong with a goal changing course. No. Um, no. Something that um, actually you would love this episode, uh, Mel. We had, I had um, Dan Palmer on the show who helps you um, develop a holistic decision making plan for your life Ooh. or for areas of your life really fascinating stuff yeah uh-huh and he says um he talks about how goals are fine but it's almost like we need this overarching statement of how we want our lives to be how we want I to agree. live those lives first yeah and yep. you, you you'd be on on board with that and yeah. so how often do you see when people don't do that overall lifestyle work um where goals just don't end up working because you're not actually um, attaching them to your values or to a higher sense of how you want your life to look. Well, often then we're living the life that someone else wants us to design, not us. Mm. And I'm a big fan of, so I call it a life by design, not by default. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sit down probably every year and just make sure that I'm still wanting that. Mm. But I completely agree. If you, like for me, my choices as a result, are a little unusual. You know, I'm purposefully child-free. I I live between two houses. 
um, during the week. Um, I have a few businesses, a few books. I'm, I live quite an unconventional life. Yeah. But it's a life that I'm designing and I'm excited about and I need the finances to back that up. Yeah. And I see way too often people, oh, this is, but this is just what's expected of me and so I'm doing that. And they're not excited about it. Um, they've resigned and resignation doesn't lead, lead mm. to um, to great finances or to well-being in any shape or form. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to courageously start designing the lives that we love, yeah. not the ones that we think we're supposed to be living. And would you say that anyone in any current position they're in financially can start to do that? Because a lot of people think, Absolutely. oh, but I'm 50, I've missed the boat, you know, right. I, I don't, I, that's not reality for me. No, definitely not. So, yes, you wanted, you might mind map and dream that life that you want. But this year, and it, you might, it might be beautiful and you're really excited about it, but your current reality is you have an enormous amount of credit card debt. Mm. So your 12-month goals are all about sorting out that debt because you're excited about that life. Yeah. Um, so for me, it has to be a two-parter. It has to be excited about the life that you're designing and then a current plan to deal with the reality of where you are now so that you can make that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my my gorgeous husband is 53 and he's just, oh, fingers crossed, selling his business. <laughs> and Hopefully into, by the time this goes live. Oh, hopefully. Yep. And stepping into that, I actually don't know what I want to do with my life. Mm. And for me, that's a courageous, brave step. Um, so I, I don't believe it matters what age you are. You know, yeah. Colonel St- Sanders didn't start KFC till he was in his 60s, I think it was. Mm. Um, Vera Wang didn't design her first wedding dress till 40. You know, mm. we, we have these age limitations because we're a youth-obsessed society. Yes. But actually there are so many examples from Walmart to Henry Ford where these extraordinary people didn't do things till a lot later, like 40s, 50s, 60s, mm. 70s even. Yeah. And we just need to we just need to stop limiting ourselves. Yeah. I, I really believe there is so much subconscious limitation placed on us Ugh. to keep us yeah. in our boxes. Definitely. Um, and it's, you know, again, back to mindfulness, awareness, self-awareness about how we feel about things as we unpack them, as mm-hmm. to how we can actually evolve from those deeply entrenched places that we can sometimes end up in life absolutely and not to be put you know you might see a top 30 under 30 list and go oh well my time's gone mm. no. <laughs> talk back to that top 30 under 30 yeah about the top 70 under 70 or <laughs> i know i've started training in tennis again and i loved tennis as a kid oh, that's so, cool. so fun um and i've got myself um a, a coach that i see every now and then it's a bit exy so i just go when I can, and then to sort of do it in a more financially sustainable way, we rent a court as a friend, friends of, you know, four of us and, and play as much as we can. And we just, it's so fun. And I always joke, we're aiming to be in the world's top 20 by the time we're 60. You know, so like if you're in <laughs> the top totally 20 when you're terrible. 60, then, you know, you reverse engineer it and it looks like this much really? practice and this many times a week and all that kind of stuff. I just, I yeah, I think we're sort of half joking, but. For some reason in my head, I actually, God, that would be just the coolest thing to be a late-blooming <laughs> world champion. Absolutely. I'm probably going to be cheering you on at Wimbledon on the sidelines. Thank with you. With my pins. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, I, and no buts, actually. No, you, you can dream about certain things and you can. I agree. If little things light you up, you've got to explore them. I think we owe it to ourselves. And and when it comes Definitely. to when it comes to money, I think it's a really interesting thing to start to realize that we can support ourselves to do more instead of feel yeah. like we need to be in a um in a held back position uh, that scarcity mindset have you uh, how do you help yeah. people through scarcity mindset how does yeah. what, what do you see actually working for people yeah. in that scarcity i think is coupled with the um comparison culture where Mm -hmm. we're not just comparing ourselves to the couple down the street we're comparing ourselves to the celebrity on the other side of the world yeah um so just scarcity it's it is understanding how you think about money because if you genuinely believe some some inherent untruths about money and you then you're 
then that scarcity mindset is going to be almost unbreakable. So you have to look at that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can break the comparison culture, then breaking the scarcity mindset is a whole lot easier. Yeah. And for some people, that means unfollowing, unspending, um, making sure, limiting. So when you're doing a detox, detoxing a bit on social media as well. I was going to say, and, because there's a real we oh, are what we have on social media. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like you can literally see people kind of going, yeah, look at my new handbag. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the, you can feel that you, you just picture the deep shame of them receiving their credit card bill. Absolutely. And, you know, and I know there'll be people listening to this as I say it right now and going, oh, gosh, that was me last month. And that's okay. Yeah. Hey, it's fine. We can all be starting from whatever tragic or fabulous place we're starting from. It can change. Definitely. Yeah. But I think it's often if you have scarcity mindset, it's do my peers have that as well? Mm. And are we actually fueling this together? Or is there people that I know that I just, they don't have that? Yeah. And I don't feel like they're buying into that. And maybe going and choosing to ask for financial mentors or ask for mindset mentors to say, hey, I'm really trapped in this. You don't seem to be a victim of that. Can you talk to me about what you've done to remove this from that? Yeah. Um, and even talk to your peers to say, hey, you know what? I bought that handbag last month to have these courageous conversations. And now my credit card bills come in and I realised how stupid it was. Mm. We all just decide to hold us accountable to this sort of behaviour and this sort of spending. So yeah. that if you want that bag, it is a really joyous thing because you've saved and it's you know and you want it and you want to celebrate it versus every time I look at that I feel sick in my stomach Mm. I don't want that and I don't want a thing to have the power over me of that yes absolutely um that's just so important isn't it it's that sick to the stomach feeling about the very thing that gave you two seconds of joy and that's sickness that we're all stuck in with but if if you're also designing the life you want and you're excited about that then that shiny new handbag shouldn't be as relevant because Mm. i care about this not about the haves um and my dirty little secret is my husband and i know and maybe this is you know because i came from the western suburbs I didn't have to live in a certain postcode. Mm, I didn't have the private school in the trappings of other people. So we genuinely know we can move back to the little rental property Mm. with not a whole lot and be really, really happy Mm. um, because the foundation work that we have around happiness and well-being is there. Mm. And I think some of it, we actually need to be okay with who we are before and which is a whole other conversation <laughs> i know it's big right it's it's, yeah. it's almost like it's much more of a psychology conversation oh, than a, absolutely than a, and i actually think yeah. that there is a place of going and speaking to a psychologist if mm. you are trapped in this mentality because breaking that hold and understanding why you were why you were thinking that way mm. you know i know that americans um have a few different psychologists and counselors on call yeah. but maybe some of us need to get better about talking out stuff. Mm. Um, well, especially if you can't start way. with your friends or your partner, right? Exactly. It might actually just be a good idea to get Go started talking to someone. Help. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. And, um, you know, you go on in the book to talk about all sorts of practicalities around do we do shares, do you do property and, um, mm. and stepping through all the options. Um, but something that I definitely want to ask about because you've mentioned it a couple of times already is this notion of, um, you know, like, and it's the American dream as well. It's the Australian Mm. dream of owning your own home. And a couple of times in the chat already, you've alluded to the fact that that's not the only answer. Um, so like, I mean, how varied can this financial wellness path look for people? Extraordinarily, Mm. um, Different, And I think the important thing to remember is if you've decided home ownership's not for you or if it's not something you want to chase, you still have to be doing something. Yes. So it doesn't mean investment isn't for you, right? Because we all need that. Yeah. Yes. So I might be investing in a business or shares or a combination of all of the above. Or Mm. I might have home ownership through some sort of property fund. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll still make sure that I have exposure. Yeah. Um, so for, for some people, it might be that their home isn't the thing that they own, 
but they still have access to property through an investment property or commercial property or a property fund. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's understanding there, there are many ways to skin a cat, but for some people, actually owning their own home is not going to be the right decision for them okay. because it's buying in a suburb where perhaps it's not going to go as much up in value. And your intention is that, well, I don't know where I'm going to be placed for work. I don't know if this is where I'm going to end up living. Mm. So as long as I have a foot in the property market, it doesn't actually need to be the home I'm living in. Yes. Um, Or it could be one of the many different property funds where I'm paying money into a fund and I'm owning a piece of a whole bunch of different properties Mm -hmm. um, rather than owning this particular property. So it's Mm. spreading risks a little bit. Yeah. Cool. And especially in Australia, there's, there's actually incentives to have an investment property. So for a millennial, for example, who's struggling with the concept of home ownership, it actually may, they may be better off if they're on a good wage to have an investment property instead. Mm. And and that is because, is it sometimes because you can't buy, like we find we, we just cannot afford to buy in the area that we live in. And exactly. a lot of people are like, well, why don't you live somewhere else? And like, well, this is actually where I've built my whole life. I'm an international yeah. person. So I've always traveled and I've always needed that strong sense of base. Mm. And um, and I really love my sense of base around the place that I live. And we'll yep. probably go live in the country one day once Seb's finished school and all that kind of stuff. But um, but for now, it is the city. So we are looking at self-managed super fund and, and doing all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff to invest instead because we've just, you know, hello, 40, <laughs> realised it ain't never going to happen right Absolutely. here. And, and so we need the, to be more creative. And that's exactly the mo- the phrase. It's being creative about it and realising, well, I not, might not be able to afford to buy in the suburb that I live, but sometimes the rent can be cheaper than buying a home in the suburb I want to live. Mm. And then I'll go and pop that house ownership in another hub suburb yeah. where because the research is showing that it's an up and coming or there's a, it's transport or there's infrastructure happening um so i'm going to either get good growth or good income mm. from that there's there's so many i mean people talk to me all the time about home ownership it's just impossible in australia now and yet i have a 26 year old accountant who bought her own home um, as an investment property a couple of years ago and is now on to looking at a second. So mm. it's not impossible. Yeah, You just might not be able to live in it and it might not be in the suburb that you want to live. Mm. Creativity. I like that exactly. word. More positive. Definitely. Yeah, Creative and critical thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, gosh, we could talk forever, but I am conscious of the time. Mel, thank you so much for talking through some of those um, points uh, in a little bit more detail because I've been wanting to ask you about this and I just thought, well, why not get everybody in on this conversation because it's a really important one. Yeah, um, thank to, you. You're welcome. And to finish up, if you could just have a think about, like people are finishing listening to this, we don't want them to just go off and, you know, you know, p- pretend, oh, that was nice, but that yeah. all sounds a bit tricky. If we could just mm-hmm. hone in on two things that would be the most important things that people could do to increase their um, chance of financial wellness, mm-hmm. um, or even if someone's in a really bad place with money at the moment, head towards that first milestone of resilience, what, yeah. would, what would they be? I think the detox is a really good, easy mm. place to start. So yep. 30 days of no spending. And while you're doing that detox, to do exercises like my relationship with money, good, bad and okay, um, what sort of life do I want to design, my 12-month goals, to do that within that 30 days. So that way you've committed 30 days to not only start to sort out your spending but to sort out your thinking behind your spending. I think that's invaluable. Mm. Um, and the second one would be probably just to start to have those conversations. I think what I know from having conversations is that so many of us are having all the same issues. And if we just start to talk about it, we'd realize that we're actually not an island mm. um, and that these prob- these problems are often, you know, if we could just talk to a peer, if we could just talk to um someone else we'd realize that we're not on our own trying to battle this and that the solution might be the person on the other side of the table who's already started taking steps 
So we just need to start to address it internally mm. and then start to have those external conversations. Such great advice, advice that I've started putting into play myself with my smarter financial friends. And it really works. You know, you learn yeah. so much. It's fantastic. Yeah. So it's just about getting comfy and um, getting comfy with your discomfort first yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then building the blocks. Mel Brown, yeah. thank you so much once again. Such a great chat. And I've got all of the details on your three books, website, how you can get in touch, even work with um, Mel and Lauren on their brilliant um, Money Bar financial planning service business, which is uh, I know helps so many people. So all of those details are in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. So good to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.